the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. This month we are focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Now let's turn together in our Bibles to explore what God has shared with us about gratitude. I'm glad that we get to continue taking a look at the book of Ecclesiastes. We started last week working our way through this wonderful book of the Bible, and we continue with the second half of the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1 today, as I read for us verses 12 through 18. And let's remember as we hear this, that this is God's word. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who are over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this is also but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. One of the things that we noted last week is one of the things that I want to make mention of at the outset of the sermon today. Ecclesiastes... It's one of those books that resonates with those who are willing to take a good, hard look at life and to reflect honestly on life. It resonates with those who are willing to do that, whether believers or unbelievers, whether Christian or non-Christian. Or to put it in another way, you might find songs that describe truths contained in Ecclesiastes that are played on the radio, even as you will very unlikely find songs that have within them the themes of the book of Romans played on any sort of secular radio station. You will find it in the book of Ecclesiastes. To be even a little bit more specific than this, there are a few songs still relevant years and years after they were uh, written and performed and released, and one of those such songs is the song, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For by U2. The themes of the song are very similar to what we see here in the second half of the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. And let me read the second verse in the chorus, part of the chorus of, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For by U2. I've kissed honey lips, felt the healing in the fingertips. It burned like a fire, this burning desire. I've spoke with the tongue of angels. I have held the hand of the devil. It was one empty night. I was cold as a stone, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
Now, I don't know if Bono was trying to intentionally follow the same path as the preacher here in the book of Ecclesiastes, but his song bears a remarkable resemblance to the searching of the preacher as he searches for gain in this part of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And the search for meaning contained within the song that U2 has performed and released has resonated for years. Just a couple of years ago, Rolling Stone said it was the top 100 songs, it was within the top 100 songs of all time. And for a very specific reason, because it contains within it yearning and searching for something more, just like Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Now this section of scripture, Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 18, it starts to dig into the meat of the book of Ecclesiastes. And in this passage, we discover a lot of things. We discover who the preacher is that we're reading about. We find out what it is that he's doing and how he's doing it and and what he learns. And and we we find out all six of these things. And so what we're going to do for our message is we're going to try to answer each one of these six questions. Who's the preacher? What's he doing? How's he doing it? What's he learned? Where's the flaw? What's the solution? This is what's going to help us understand what's contained here within the second half of the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. And as we look through it, I hope that we'll see the searching and the yearning and the longing contained from the beginning to the end within this passage of scripture. And so let's start with this first question. So who is this preacher? Who is this preacher? The Hebrew word Kohelet translated preacher here. Who is it that is on this quest for wisdom, this quest for meaning, this quest for worldly meaning here in this life under the sun? Well, the answer for us is in verse 12, right away at the start of the passage. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. That's the first verse in our passage this morning. And if we combine this, verse 12 with verse 1, which says that this is, these are the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, we can uh, have sort of two data points that helps us to draw a line here. So we know that the preacher is the son of David. We know that he is king over Israel. We know that he is in Jerusalem. What that means is there can only be one person that this preacher is, and that's Solomon. Only Solomon was the, was the king of Israel in Jerusalem. Here's the reason. Right after Solomon stopped being king, the kingdoms broke into the northern kingdom of Israel, and the capital of that kingdom was Samaria, and the southern kingdom of Judea, the capital of that kingdom, was Jerusalem. And so there was only one king that was king of the unified Israel ruling in Jerusalem. That's Solomon. This is Solomon that we encounter here in the text. This is David's son, Solomon, king of Israel in Jerusalem, and that makes sense of verse 16, which tells us that the preacher surpassed all in Jerusalem in terms of wisdom. Solomon, the wisest of men, is the one who will now pursue the limits of wisdom here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So second question, what's Solomon doing? What is it that he's doing? He is seeking and searching out by wisdom everything that is done under heaven. That's verse 13. And I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. This is where the longing comes. This is where the longing to the searching comes. He's applying his heart. This means he's giving his whole self to this task of trying to use wisdom to figure out the meaning of life. And it says, I'm using my whole heart to seek and search out. What this means is this is a desperate search for meaning with his whole self. He's passionately trying to make use of wisdom. Phil Riken says this about the seeking and searching out. He says this, I believe the quote will pull up on the screen right here. He says, his quest was also comprehensive. The words to seek and to search indicate the seriousness of his efforts. Together they show Solomon's diligence. He wanted to understand life. 
Not just one part of life, but life taken as a whole. His quest was as extensive as it was intensive. The preacher was an ancient day renaissance man. He wanted to know as much as he could about as many things as he could. He wanted to take it all in, leaving nothing out so that his conclusions would be as definitive as possible. He wanted to investigate every area of human endeavor, all that is done under heaven. In short, he wanted to know everything about everything under the sun. He's using wisdom to discover the meaning of life. Or to put it in another sort of way, he's using wisdom to climb the highest mountains. He's using wisdom to run through the fields. He's searching with all of his heart and all of his mind and all of his strength to find a point to this life that we see. To find a point to life under the sun. A deep and a desperate longing and searching. Seeking and searching out. So how's he doing it? It's the third question. How is he doing it? Well, he's doing it by looking at everything under heaven. And to understand the precise nature of Solomon's quest for meaning, we need to understand, again, some of the keys to understanding the book of Ecclesiastes. And here's the first one, life under the sun. What that means is life as it is, but only seen from the perspective of this world. Life under the sun is life considered apart from the revelation that comes from God, apart from a word that comes from outside the world. Life under the sun is everything as we see apart from God. And so what he's seeking and searching is trying to use human wisdom to make sense of everything that exists under the sun, apart from a word of revelation from the Lord. That's the way he's operating. He's performing the same task as this famous philosopher, Rene Descartes, making use of reason to try to know for sure what it is that we can know, trying to discern the meaning of life, trying to be able to say, you know, I think, therefore I am, making use of worldly wisdom to try to understand the meaning of life. That's his task. And he's giving his whole heart to it to seek it out and search it out. This is an extraordinarily important task for the preacher, for Solomon here. I'm going to give my whole heart to seek and search out meaning in this life by use of all of my worldly human wisdom and knowledge. So having given himself to that, what is it that Solomon learns giving himself to seeking out with his whole heart wisdom? Well, he learns that everything is a striving after the wind. He mentions that twice in this passage of scripture here in verse 14 and in verse 17. Verse 14 says this, I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, it is all vanity and a striving after the wind. Here's verse 17. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. Now, the word that's translated striving here is the word for shepherding or sometimes feeding. What he's in essence saying here is that trying to make use of of worldly human wisdom to understand the point or the meaning of life is like trying to shepherd wind. Regardless of how you try to lead wind, you're not going to be able to do it. It's too elusive. It doesn't follow a shepherd like sheep does. The task of trying to make use of human wisdom to understand everything that we see under the sun is as fruitless as trying to be a shepherd for wind. He learns, therefore, that that which is crooked in this world can't be straightened. He learns that wisdom and knowledge and madness and folly are all vanity. He learns that an increase in wisdom creates vexation, that growing in knowledge increases your sorrow. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. 
This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message on the topic of gratitude. One of the aspects of, of modern philosophical, the modern philosophical project was that uh, human reason, that human autonomy, that science, that progress, that wisdom, that that was going to be enough. It was going to lead to nothing but thriving and to goodness and to, and to a utopia and to the, the triumph of the human race. This was the modern project. This was the ideology that's undergirded a lot of modern progress over the last several hundred years. That human reason and wisdom was enough. That by it we could attain the sort of perfect world that everyone hopes for. And what was the result? Well, within the last hundred years, World War I, the most advanced and most scientific nation in the world at the time, take, trying to take over the world, therefore World War II, the Holocaust. This is the wisdom that human reason has wrought within the last hundred years. 80 million dead in World War II. 20 million dead under Stalin and his regime of reason and science alone. Contemporary nations editing the human genome with, with cutting-edge technology, something that's going to change generations to come. Philosophically, the rise of nihilism. Contemporary society has put, to, put the words of Solomon to the test and has found them to be true. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. All is vanity and a striving after the wind. And even those last two sentences there, that last verse in verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I mean, we kind of intuitively know that to be true, right? Ignorance is bliss. Increasing in knowledge is increasing in sorrow. I think that we probably know this experientially as well. I was thinking about this this week as I was you know, playing with my daughter. I realized that the world that she knows about seems to be a world only of happiness. And the reason, I think, is that the world that she experiences, she experiences mostly through her mom. And if anyone were to experience the world solely through Aubrey, it would be a quite wonderful world. She doesn't know of any sorrow except the sorrow of having to go to sleep. And even that is temporary because she knows if she cries long enough, her dad will come in and rescue her because he is a sucker, right? That is, the, that is the depth of sorrow that my daughter knows. And when you're a kid, you know a lot of, you know a lot of that joy, right? The world seems to be filled and shining with all sorts of good things, and, and it is in a lot of ways. But as you grow and as you increase in wisdom and knowledge, your vexation and your sorrow increases too, doesn't it? You realize that not everybody is kind. Not everyone is as nurturing or caring as your mother. You realize that there are deeply unkind people, people that seek to manipulate or oppress or take advantage of you, people who compete with an attempt to defeat you. As you get to know other people and to know their stories, you realize that there is sorrow in every place. That there's sorrow in every pew, in each church. As you grow in your own knowledge and wisdom and experience, you recognize that your sorrow and your vexation grows along with it. This is simply true. Life is hard. 
And as you learn more and more and more about more and more things, you realize there are more and more things to bring sorrow. It's all vanity. It's striving after the wind. So here's the next question. Where's the flaw then? Or is there simply no meaning? Well, here's the flaw. Here's the flaw in the reasoning. And this, and this is something that the scriptures are trying to expose for us. The sort of wisdom, the sort of wisdom that Solomon is making use of here is, is human wisdom. It's wisdom that's applied solely under the sun. This is entirely different from the sort of wisdom that's employed in the book of Proverbs. Here's the reason. Worldly wisdom says, I'm going to retreat inside my own mind to try to make use of my own wisdom and knowledge to understand everything as it is. I think, therefore I am. That's worldly human wisdom that's being applied there. The sort of wisdom that Solomon applies is that very wisdom. I'm going to apply my mind to try to see everything as it is under the sun. Very different from the way that he describes wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Do you remember the way that he describes wisdom in the book of Proverbs? Proverbs 1 verse 7, Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, is what he said. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. What the scriptures are setting up for us here is a distinction between the sort of wisdom that comes from knowing God, the fear of the Lord being the beginning of a deep Christian wisdom, And the sort of wisdom being applied by Solomon here, wisdom under the sun, apart from the Lord, without the fear of the Lord. That's why it's ultimately fruitless. That's why it doesn't lead to any happiness or gain. It leads only to vexation and frustration. There is no fear of God in this wisdom. And therefore, there's no substance. There's only breath, only vanity, only a shepherding of the wind. Therefore, it'll never be enough. Never be enough. That's the problem. So what's the solution? If this is the problem that we encounter here, the problem that that worldly wisdom does not lead to gain, worldly wisdom is totally elusive. An increase in worldly wisdom and knowledge only leads to an increase in sorrow. What's the solution for us? Well, if the problem is simply worldly wisdom... The solution just may be worldly foolishness. What do I mean? Let me explain. Here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says. This is from the NIV, verses 20 through 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where is the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? That is straight Ecclesiastes 1 here. The Lord makes foolish the wisdom under the sun that we could acquire. Continuing on. For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You see what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is saying? 
describing Jesus Christ as the wisdom of God, and it's also saying the wisdom of God is foolishness to this age. It's foolishness to this age. The gospel is foolishness to this age. The wisdom of God in sending his son to be born as a child, to live for you and me if we trust in Jesus Christ, to die for you and me, to rise again on the third day for you and me and all who trust in Jesus Christ, that's foolishness to the world. Salvation through becoming a man, death on a cross. But this foolishness, in this foolishness, well, there's fulfillment. You can, along with the preacher, search deeply into every potential type of human wisdom and knowledge and find that it is all vanity and meaningless. That it's all so much breath. It's like shepherding the wind. And in so doing, you recognize that this foolishness of Christ, the foolishness of his death, the foolishness of the gospel, well, this is the hope of all in the world who look and long for more. Christ's blood, his death, his resurrection. It will always be enough. It is enough. So the longing and searching of the preacher here, this unfulfilled pursuit of something elusive, that's what's made, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, resonate. A magazine from the Pacific Northwest called The Rocket had this to say about the song after it came out in 1987. It noted that Bono's lyrics about needing personal spirituality resulted in a unique marriage of American gospel and Gaelic soul and that the human perspective that he brings to this sentiment rings far truer than the rantings of, say, born-again Bob Dylan. Do you see what this publication is saying? For this publication, they're saying that the the lyrics of the song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, are compelling precisely because they don't offer an answer. They say this is the substance of human life. And that's that's exactly what the preacher says here. I've searched with wisdom everything under the sun, and I have not found what I'm looking for. And yet... I am here to tell you this morning that the unfulfilled longing that you feel whenever you look for fulfillment within the world points you to the place where that longing may be fulfilled. As St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. That's beautiful. You've made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. What that's saying is our hearts will long until, until our longing is met in our Savior, in the foolishness of the gospel. And so as we end, as our time this morning comes to a conclusion, let me tell you one more story about one who seems to have found what he's looking for. In 1987, Bono noted that he hadn't found what he was looking for, and for the next 10 years, maybe 13 years, his music was characterized by that lack of discovery. He read existentialist philosophy in the late 80s and early 90s and found, like the preacher of Ecclesiastes, that there was absolutely nothing ultimately satisfying in human wisdom or knowledge. And his tours reflected that in the early 90s. 
The pop tour mocked the excesses of the pop industry by becoming the excesses of the pop industry. In the Zoo TV tour, he famously dressed like the devil, and he would sing this song, Daddy's going to pay for your crash car to make fun of those that only pray to the Lord whenever they need something fixed. And his act of dressing up like the devil accused some Christians of him being satanic. And that's pretty low-hanging fruit when he was dressing up like the devil himself, right? But in the late 90s, in the early 2000s, something seems to have happened. I believe that Bono found what he was looking for. And the longing which characterized his 1987 song, this longing was replaced by a different sort of longing, a longing for the return of the one who justified him. Let me try to give you two pieces of evidence for this. Slate Magazine noted a couple years ago that his song Magnificent was misinterpreted by many within the pop industry because they missed who the intended audience was. Slate said, Bono sang this song to his God, not to his fans. And here's the second verse in the song's conclusion. He writes in this song, the song Magnificent, I was born, I was born to sing for you. I didn't have a choice but to lift you up and sing whatever song you wanted me to. I give you back my voice from the womb. My first cry, it was a joyful noise. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.